recording. Happy Hanukkah. Last night of Hanukkah, it's called Vizos Hanukkah, which means this, it's called This is Hanukkah, which means it, uh, the essence of Hanukkah is uh, encapsulated in the last day of Hanukkah. It's actually also the Torah portion tomorrow is a very long Torah portion, uh, Torah portion for Hanukkah. And it starts with the words, this is Hanukkah. So uh, at nine o'clock, I'm going to come back on and talk more about Hanukkah. There's really a lot, a lot of uh, energy and ideas in the last night of Hanukkah. But uh, certainly one of the uh, big, big things of Hanukkah is Torah. So I'm excited that uh, we can learn some Torah together. And I'm sure Hanukkah will sneak into the Parsha class too. But um, okay. Now, Parshas Miketz usually falls out on Hanukkah. And this year it's falling right after Hanukkah. So it's very apropos that we're able to, uh, to learn this Parsha on Hanukkah. So let's jump right in. Right now we're smack in the middle in the heat of the episode of the drama of the story of Joseph and his brothers, or as Broadway said, Joseph and a Technicolor coat. And it's getting intense. Uh, Joseph is in Egypt, and he's in jail. And Pharaoh, just quick update on the story, and then we'll get in, in, into some insights. So Joseph's in jail, and there used to be his friend, the butler, who was in jail, who got let out. Paro had these dreams, very uh, unsettling dreams for him. There was uh, seven cows in the dream, seven fat cows, and then got eaten up by seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows didn't get any fatter. Then he had a similar dream with crops, big, nice crops that got swallowed up by seven skinny crops, and the seven skinny crops didn't get any, didn't get any bigger. Lots of details, and he's very troubled, and nobody can give him any satisfying answers. Some answers that some of his wise men gave him, there were... There was one that said he would have seven children and he would bury them. And so none of them were satisfactory. And finally, the butler, the, the royal butler remembered, you know, there was that there was that kid in jail that he had come in when he was uh, 18. But uh, now he was actually 30 years old because he was in jail for 12 years. And he remembers that that, that guy was the best dream interpreter. Very, very good guy. But, you know, I'm nervous if I recommend him. He's so charismatic, so powerful, so likable that the the uh, that power is going to right away be enthralled by him, and uh, excuse me, and uh, and uh, going to forget about rewarding me because it was my great idea. So he goes to Paro and he suggests about this. He he kind of downplays Joseph. He calls him a slave, a Hebrew, a young guy. And we'll focus on that later. But right now, I, I, I want to focus on. So, Yosef comes out. He gives an interpretation of the dreams. Basically says, there'll be all the sevens are referring to years. There'll be seven years of incredible plenty, which will be followed by seven years of famine, which will be so bad that it will, you'll, you'll totally forget that there will have been any plenty. 
And that's the message for Paro. Yosef tells Paro that he's highly satisfied. He feels like that's the truth. And at the end of Yosef's interpretation, he adds the following suggestion. Now, mind you, he wasn't asked for his opinion. He wasn't even asked for his suggestions. He was asked for an interpretation by the most powerful monarch in the world who thought he was God. Don't give suggestions, unsolicited suggestions to Paro. What does he say? He says, you in, in uh, chapter uh, 41, verse 33, after he finishes the interpretation, at least what seemed to be the end of the interpretation, he says, now let Paro seek out a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Paro proceed and let him appoint overseers on the land. He should prepare the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Goes on for a whole paragraph what the plan of action should be. Essentially put someone in charge to make sure that they save appropriately um, for the next seven years. And then, the, and then everything will, will be fine. So there's a lot, a lot to focus on. But let's start with this point. Why is Yosef suggesting that the person be a discerning and wise man? It's actually a very, very straightforward, um, relatively simple suggestion. You know, someone wants to retire, right? You don't plan on working in retirement. Well, if you use all your money before you retire, you won't have money later. It's a pretty straightforward plan. Why do we have to have a wise and discerning ish chacham benavon, very, very wise? You need an organized person, uh, a, a bureaucratic person who can deal with bureaucracy, um, someone familiar with agriculture, perhaps. But what's, why do you need someone wise? So the Talmud in, in Tractate Talmud says, ask the question. Well, like in most things, there's probably many, many definitions of what the word chacham is. What is a wise person? And the Gemara in Talmud, as in numerous places in the Torah, uh, I believe a similar answer is given in Ethics of the Fathers. It asks, who is wise? Says the Gemara, one who sees the future. Haroa es ha'asid. He sees the future. There was going to be so much plenty. Think about different times, different times in, uh, in history when we've had plenty, when the economy is going well, when the real estate market's going well, when there's tons of food, there's tons of resources. You know what happens? We, we save maybe a little bit, but we don't really consider the fact that this is ever really going to end. You know, I believe in America, they used to um, burn uh, extra, um, uh, extra, extra grain. And there are parts in the Middle East where they used to burn excess oil. You can imagine such a thing, even in America. So, it actually takes a lot of wisdom. Yes, the concept of saving, that's a simple concept. But to have that discipline for seven years, that's a long time to not have a recession. For seven years to have so much and be able to have that self-restraint and discipline to put aside enough 
for seven more years. And not only that, to have, to have extra for the whole world, that is not something that just any organi- organization that, yeah, that's not what it would take. It would take um, that uh, would be takes a wise man. So many of the commentators say that, you know, all these stories here, they're important stories and they're nice stories, but they are not, if that's all the Torah was coming to tell us, it wouldn't take so many verses, so many precious verses. There always has to be more layers and more layers of something that could be helpful. And what many of the commentators say here is this is a reference to our stay in this world. The Vilna Gon, I believe it was the, the Vilna Gon, one time he was uh, kissing his tzitzis. Tzitzis, right? Fringes over here. Mitzvah, tzitzis. And he started crying. And someone said to him, Rabbi, why are you crying? You're wearing tzitzis. This is supposed to be a joyous thing. He said, well... I'm not crying about now. I'm crying about the years of famine. And he said, this world, the world that we're in, is is a world of plenty. Right now, every second we're alive, we can, is an opportunity for our soul to grow. We can accomplish. This is the world of Asiya. It's the world of accomplishment. Next world, as wonderful as the world to come is, it's, you can't do anything there. It's the world of consequences. You experience the experience that you created while you were here. And uh, yes, most of us recognize, assuming a person understands that, 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 that there is a world to come. But uh, most of us, just in varying degrees, we don't really keep in mind, well, like, really? This, is, this existence is going to end? And that was the message that we we're supposed to learn from the story of Yosef with the seven years and uh, the seven years. Another analogy I believe that Dubna Magid used to give about this similar concept is let's say you would have people who would come back from the world to come. They would say you have one hour in this world. What do you think they would do? So everyone has their different guesses. And he always says they're all wrong. They would go and they would study Torah and they would be do do every, not waste a second with doing things that they that they, that would get them more in the next world that would enhance their experience in the next world and that is a uh, certainly a Hanukkah thought because Hanukkah was all about how the the Hashmonayim and the Jewish people the Maccabees how they were rejecting the uh, philosophy and the culture of Yavon, which was all about celebrating a person's physicality and, and completely ignoring their spiritual component, and that's what we're talking about here. So that's point number one. So, as I mentioned, when the butler was suggesting Yosef to Paro, in verse 12, it says... And there with us was a Hebrew youth, a slave of the Chamberlain of the Butchers, Nar, in very derogatory terms. In fact, Rashi speaks out 
how derogatory they were. What does Rashi say? Rashi says it was it was basically he didn't want to couldn't say it straight out because that would be it would be clear he's trying to badmouth him. So all these words were code for someone who's foolish, someone who can't speak the language, someone who's a slave, someone who would not be fitting to really fit in into other, the uh, aristocratic uh, setup in in uh, in Egypt. Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz points out that in reality, the butler was not trying to be mean. He actually wasn't. He actually had a good idea and he was trying to give a sincere uh, suggestion. But Lubavitz says he was a very low level person. He was an evil person. And if someone at their core and who they are is someone un undeveloped, then you can't you can't hide that and it ends up coming out even when you're trying to do something good and Rabbi Lubavitz points out he said you know we all have things you know we have we have to take stock of ourselves you know sometimes you know thank god we're on a high enough level where we we were we're we're polite we, do, we don't do quote-unquote blatantly evil things but you know we have to see how pure we are how pure are we that pure olive oil, the, the one drop, the purest drop? You know, uh, it, it, uh, I'll, um, I'll give an example. I think the Chavetz Haim gives these examples. He says, let's say you say, yeah, he is, he is such, a, such a charitable, generous guy. You know, of course, everyone's got to know about it. You know, sometimes we, we throw in, and I, I'm including, including myself, we, we throw in, you know, unnecessary vibes or, or extra clauses, which, uh, which, which, which take away from the, uh, from the kindness that we're doing. You, you know, you, you can say, you know, uh, yeah, he's a really nice guy, but you should have seen him before. Like unnecessary things like that. And that's kind of what happened over here. You had this guy, he had a good thing. He was giving someone a suggestion, trying to help someone out. And, he, and, and if a person doesn't work on themselves, it leaks out. It leaks out. It leaks out with time. So let's look at this dream a little bit. The dream, so the second set of dreams, just give me a second. Uh, apologize. So, yeah. So the dream, the second dream, the second dream was that you have these, it was, uh, let's find the verse, 40, uh, 41 verse 5. What does it say? Behold, seven ears of grain were sprouting on a single stalk, healthy and good. Next verse, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind were growing after them. Reading comprehension here, if you look, look closely, the, the healthy ears of grain, it says there were seven ears of grain sprouted on a single stalk, one stalk. When it comes to the seven thin ears, it's just seven, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind were growing after them. Why? 
you think to be the only difference necessary is that one's fat and one's not. But the, the other difference is, is that the seven ears were on one stalk, and by the thin ones, they're not on one stalk. So the uh, Bali Musser, those who teach us about character development, they say that good things, when, when people are good and, and when, there's, when there's good intentions, they, they inspire unity. That's why they were all on one stock, because it was something good, it was good. In the bad years, in the thin years, things that are bad, when, when, when people are, are not doing good things, it doesn't inspire harmony. It doesn't inspire peace. It, it inspires separatism. They say in, in our Jewish tradition that when we see people aren't able to get along, as a community, as a family, as a, globally, it's often or almost always a reflection of a lack of, of sincerity in general. When you, they, they say the Torah is the ways of the Torah are sweet. And if you see someone who quote unquote is a in, very involved in their Judaism, but their ways aren't sweet. So as we say, maybe maybe they're not so heavily involved in the Torah as you think. Maybe we're if we're, we're finding ourselves not so sweet, maybe we're not as involved in the Torah really as uh, as we think we are, because sincerity, positivity, good-heartedness, good 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 uh, good outlook. It always inspires unity and inspires peace, and that's a sign. It's a sign. If, thing, if, if there's machlokas, there's many, so many, so many stories where you had good ideas, good organizations, good initiatives, and when, when people would ask their advice, if there was any sort of arguments or discord or e-harmony, uh, then uh, people would just fly away from it. So Yosef's in Mitzrayim, flash fo flash, uh, fast forward in the story. Paro loves him. He says, you know what? You're out of jail. You are going to implement this incredible program. You are." He hands him over, basically, the keys to the entire Egypt, the most powerful country in the world, maybe the most powerful country to date at that point. And Yosef goes from being in jail to being in charge of the greatest country in the world, in minutes. So Yosef is able to marry now, and he has children. He has his two children, Ephraim and Menashe. So he names them. Verse 41, in chapter 41, verse 52, what does he do? What's he call his first son? Menashe. Menashe. Why? Because God has made me forget all of my hardships and all of my father's household. Interesting, uh, interesting name. He hasn't been with his family for years. He says, thank you, Hashem, for allowing me to forget my household. Interesting name. So, Rebellion Mayor Bloch, the founder of the yeshiva in Cleveland, tells 
he asks this question and he adds that besides the fact that it's a little bit intriguing, he uh, he steps it up. And he says, you know, um, it's actually a problem because we find in last week's parasha that the reason why he was called Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef the Righteous, was because he actually constantly envisioned his father. He remembered his father's house. He remembered his roots. He remembered his upbringing. He, he had the morals of his house. He had the security, the love of his house. That, that's what kept him going. So what do you mean? He's, he's thanking Hashem for forgetting about his father's house. So Abayumeyer Bloch, along with uh, you know, Ramosha Feinstein, and Rebarn Cutler, and Rebbe Ruderman, and Yakov Kamenetsky, and uh, a, a few other great, uh, uh, great men and women, after the ashes of Europe, they came to America, and they rebuilt the uh, Jewish community to the beautiful community that we have in America today. And it was very difficult, especially someone like, I believe, Rebellion Mayor Bloch, he came to America. I believe he lost his whole family while he had made it to America, and he was hoping to either go back or they were going to come to him, and he got stuck. And he lost, I believe, his whole family. And, you know, and that was not such an uncommon thing. And, you know, that a person could get stuck. A person could get emotionally stuck. A person could get stuck and say, you know what? There's no point. It's never going to be as good as it used to be. Well, that's not what they said. They said, I am not going to be black and white. I am not going to say, oh, it's never going to be what it used to be. Because if you say it's never going to be what it used to be, it's like the good old days, right? Then Then you're not present. and You can't say, well, this is what's best now. Right, because of course, if someone lost their family, it's never going to be. If we, we if we could depict the purity of, of of spirit and the simplicity of life that many of our grandparents and great grandparents had, we're not duplicating that. It's not the good old days, but these are these days, and these are the good day good these days, and that's the moment Mayor Bluch said that Yosef was saying, of course, he wasn't um, nixing his childhood and his house. He, he learned so much from that. He tried to emulate it. But he wasn't stuck there. He was able to move on. And for ourselves, that's actually um, what happened in the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah, actually, it's not a very pretty ending. It's not like, you know, the story of Purim, where afterwards Mordecai becomes very, you know, the... In the, very high in the palace, and, and Esther's the queen, and the Jews go back to, to Israel, and they get the second temple. Beautiful. No, the story of Hanukkah is not like that at all. Yes, they get, and they're allowed to have a certain amount of autonomy. They never really get back full autonomy. It's it's it, it's it's kind of the beginning of the end of the second temple, and and then Christianity comes in. It's 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 not a very pretty time, but it was good enough. Good enough to get them out of the predicament they're in. And that's why we celebrate Hanukkah today. And, and that's what we have to do. You know, a lot of times today we think, you know, we're not, we're not, we're never going to be quote unquote that religious. We're never going to be that nice of a person. We're never going to be able to be that present, that pure, whatever it might be. But you know what? Maybe that's not what we're supposed to be today. Yes, we always have to strive. You have to strive. You have your your place that you strive for, and then you try to go there. 
but that's um, that's what we have to do. You know, it says in uh, I think it was in Psalms, Sheva, maybe it's not in Psalms, but somewhere in the writings it says Sheva Yipol Tzadik Fakam. Person who is a righteous person, person who falls seven times and then gets back up. Fall down seven times and you get back up. And you know, it may not be where, where you want it to be, but that's where you need to be. And that's what we learn from, uh, from Yosef, that he was able to be present and forget about uh, that it, wasn't, it just wasn't going to be what he had. <laughs> he was in Mitzrayim. So Yosef gets pulled out of jail, comes to Paro. What does he say? You would say, this is his moment. When we get our moment, I know when I say I'm trying to get a fundraising appointment with someone, it's been taking me months, and I get it. I get in there. I'm trying to impress, trying to put my, put my organization, my work in the best limelight, perhaps myself in the best limelight. What does he do? He's right, right away. He says, Paro says, I heard you're a wonderful uh, dream interpreter. He says, verse 16, 41, very, very long chapter here. 41, 16. Joseph says to him, that is beyond, because Paro says to him, I hear you, you can interpret dreams. He says, that is beyond me. It is God who will respond with Pharaoh's welfare. He says, it's not about me. Perhaps I could be a conduit. I'm connected to God. It's not me. So here's his opportunity. And he's basically blowing it. Basically saying he's not pushing himself at all. Not plugging himself at all. But what happens? Paro, and this is actually in all the, um, the sales books, this is actually highly touted. Paro ignores the self-deprecating remarks, not only deprecating, but not self-pushing mark remarks, because he saw, and in fact, he ignores the remarks that the butler had said about him. Remember, the butler said he's not really worthy, he's foolish. He ignores Yosef's off-putting remarks. He ignores the butler's remarks, and what does he do? He sees this is a humble man. Um, and as we said in our 48 Ways to Wisdom class two weeks ago, humility is the greatest charisma. We're attracted, we trust, we love humility. And, and that's why you have people who, quote unquote, don't have the trappings of a likable, charismatic person. But somehow we like them. We're attracted to them. Everyone likes them. And that's because they're humble. And, and Paro saw that, and we find with all our great leaders, by David, every time David has an incredible accomplishment, when he beat uh, Goliath, when he became king, numerous other, other times, different battles that he won, you find in Psalms, he's always tributing everything to God. We find this by Hanukkah, you have the Maccabees, Yehuda and his family, the Hashmonayim, they won, they won, they won, they won. Look in the Al-Hanisim. Look in the prayer that we have, that we say in the in the silence, in the Shemun Esrei, every day of Hanukkah. There's nothing there. I doesn't talk at all about that. It's all about God. It says, we were in trouble, 
and God came and he saved us in every possible way. And, and, and Hanukkah is all about the uh, recognizing the hand of God and thanking God. It's really very far. The Maccabees is really not uh, in the story or in the liturgy. It's very, very little about that. There's a little bit here and there, but it's certainly far from the focus. And that is the, that, that, that's the way we're successful. That's the way we're successful in this world. That we certainly the way we're going to be successful in this world. That's the way we deal with the adversity of, of this world, recognizing things come from Hashem, being humble, being in touch with reality. What's me? What's not me? All right, we've got a few more minutes. So things step up, right? So we have the years of plenty, and Yosef did an incredible job. They, Egypt has. Endless stock. Endless stock. And the years of famine start. And there's famine all, in all of the countries. And the only place, no one has any food. And any word gets out that Egypt has plenty of food. And everyone's pouring into Egypt. And they pay. And Egypt becomes richer and richer. And Yosef's fame becomes bigger and bigger. And who comes Yosef's family comes from Israel because there was a famine in Israel. And they came. And Yosef, it's complicated the story, but long story short, Yosef does not reveal his identity. And he gives them a hard time. And he treats them very in a very unusual way, very mysterious. And in chapter 42, verse 21, what does he say? So Yosef is giving them a hard time and uh, in, in numerous ways. And then the brothers amongst themselves, what happens? They say, the brothers say to one another, they realized somehow they connected the dots that the reason they're being given a difficult time here was because of the way they treated their brother. And they say, indeed, we are guilty concerning our brother. And as much as we saw his heartfelt anguish when he pleaded with us and we paid no heed, that is why this anguish has come upon us. So they're brutally honest. They, they, they recognize Yosef, in fact, was trying to help them to, to see their own, own, own mistakes. But what's the mistake that they say? They don't say they were wrong for selling him. Or even wanting to kill him. They say, we are guilty that we saw his anguish and he pleaded and we paid no heed. We, we, we didn't pay attention to his pain. So many of the commentators point out here is that, in fact, perhaps their decision may have been off, but it was a reasonable mistake. They, had, they really felt that, that Yosef was, in a certain sense, out to get them. And uh, they felt he really needed to be gotten rid of, gotten rid of, killed, disposed of. But they didn't, but to some degree, you know, very high level people, and we're telling all these stories and all the mistakes that you see, it's not petty mistakes, but to some degree, they needed to do something. But it doesn't mean that you have to be not kind and merciful. Sometimes we have to make decisions for vis-a-vis uh, -vis family, friends, um, community, or whatever it might be. 
And those decisions may need to be made, but we cannot ignore other people's feelings. We have to do it in as kind, merciful, thoughtful way as possible. And this is something which, you know, I, you know, you know, uh, being in a, in a rabbinical position for many years at this point, I didn't say many years, no, about 18. Um, and there's situations where I'm sure I'm still making mistakes and I continue to make mistakes, but there's things that I, I remember doing, thinking that, oh, look, I have no choice. It's clear as day. I got to do this. But then what happens is you can't forget about minimizing the, the, uh, the, the, the difficulty it will have um, for someone else. So we can't just be, oh, this is what we got to do. That's, what we, that's it. No. We see from the brothers, even though here, according to their calculations, he, they, their, their idea of killing him or getting rid of him may have even been somewhat correct. But it was the lack of the mercy that they did not exhibit that all this, many, many things have happened um, because of that. I'm trying to think of, of an example. I mean, this example, like I can't think of anything offhand. I'm actually thinking of something. I'll give an example. It's hard, but, you know, being a, a being, uh, you know, maximizing your soul's potential in this world is not an easy game. You know, I, I have a relatively high level of keeping kosher. Certainly for Rhode Island, if I was in certain parts of New York or Jerusalem or even Lakewood, probably uh, they would laugh at me for saying that. But certainly for uh, where I am now, uh, I'd say I probably have a higher standard of keeping kosher than the vast majority of people that I know. Thank God I have a lot of friends, and uh, friends invite me. Friends invite me to, uh, to, to, to have a meal with them, to do a potluck. And um, there are times when it really could be uh, very much not in, in line. The food will not always be in line with, with my standards. And sometimes it really could be very, very um, lacking in the standards. You know, there are times a person should should um you know relax their standards especially if they're being strict on something that's not really necessary and but but there are times when it really is you know not up to par and there's no question you can't you're you're not going to eat that food but what do you do at that point are you a deer in headlights stop freeze the challenge now is on me I have to think of a way, how am I going to make sure as much as possible, if not completely, that this person, that my friend is not going to feel like I don't trust them. It's just a, it's like a chocolate vanilla. I have chocolate, you have vanilla, it doesn't work. You know, you meet someone who just is very different than you, and there's something that really doesn't work. That That is, that is our job. Our job, part of being a high-level spiritual person is being a high-level spiritual person across the board, asking all this advice, really taking the time. And, and, and we can do that, you know, we really can do that. I could tell you when, you know, it's a, a good example is if I'm trying to raise money from someone, I'm extremely sensitive to making sure I don't hurt their feelings. Still can mess up. 
And that's the way we have to look at people. It's so important not to hurt people's feelings, especially if it's at the cost of quote unquote something uh, spiritual. Yosef left. Yosef left, had had left the town when he was seventeen. Yosef had left his house when he was seventeen. Now he was thirty years old. His brothers, I mean, all the uh, mid, all the midrashim say that Yosef looked just like his father. He wasn't a kid. Yeah, some say he put on his beard, didn't recognize him. It's very weird that he had 10 brothers there and not one of them recognized uh, him as being 13 years older. And they had a lot of conversations. They even ate together. Nobody, nobody recognized him. All the commentators struggle with this. What do you mean they didn't recognize him? Numerous answers are given. One answer is, is that there was a major, major consequence of their recognizing that that was Yosef. What was, what instigated this whole event? Yosef had dreams that were going to say that he was going to be the leader and they were going to bow down to him. And that was, they understood it as something that was really bad. And that obviously wasn't the case. Well, as soon as they recognize that Yosef is in fact the king and they, quote unquote, are bowing down to him, they are, they are recognizing that they've been living a uh, mistake, something very bad. And when a person doesn't want to see something, they won't see it. If you don't, and I'm sure we've all, all had this experience with other people, we had this experience probably with ourselves, it's easier to see it, with it, it in other people. When we don't want to see something, something could be right in front of us and we won't see it. That is one of the lessons to learn from this story and certainly for ourselves. You know, in the story of Hanukkah, it's incredible. You know, when the Greeks, you know, wanted the Jewish people to... Um, Sorry, I knocked down my Hanukkah candles. <laughs> when uh, when the uh, the Greeks we wanted the, the Jewish people to adopt their culture, you know, many of the Jewish people uh, welcomed it with open arms. In fact, the only way that the Greeks were able to build their gymnasium inside of Jerusalem was because the, there was a whole sect of Jews that welcomed them in, and they didn't see it. They didn't see the writing on the wall. They didn't see how this was going to be one of the darkest, in fact, maybe the probably the darkest um, age of our entire people. It was the only time in history there was no open practicing of Judaism anywhere in the entire world at that time. The entire land of Israel. You, you weren't, there was nothing. There was a few people out in the caves, and that was it. And it was going to be done. And they didn't see it. And we have, we have this in our relationships, in a way we treat other people. We have it in our relationship with God. We can have it where we interact with ourselves. Sometimes you can have something staring you in the face and you just don't see it. Another answer. I forgot who says this answer, but this is a, it's a little different twist on what I just said. 
it, in their minds, it was the farthest thing that Yosef would be. Yosef would be the, the head of Egypt, having gone from a slave. They thought he probably, probably even wasn't alive. Figured they knew it was, it was possible that he was alive. But when you're not thinking about something, that's another time when you don't notice something, even if it's not quote unquote as as insidious as I just said that like you don't, don't want to see something. If you don't want to see something, you definitely won't see it. But this commentary is saying it's just it's a simple sociological idea that like if you're not thinking about something, you're probably not going to notice it. Well, you know, I'm in the uh, people business. I uh, I'm out to meet people. That's what I do. Now I've been in this community in Rhode Island for uh, for 24 years. I've done different things while I'm here. Over the past eight or nine years, I've I've been trying to I've been in a, a, a community rabbi. I try to meet people. I try to meet meet other Jews. Hopefully, uh, spread unity, spread a Jewish inspiration, education. And people ask me sometimes, you know, how do you meet people? Like, you know, I, I want to meet people. You know, this I want to meet the extended family. You know, we, we know in Rhode Island there's about 20,000 Jews, and most of them are uh, in and around the east side of Providence. You know, how do you meet people? And I said, you know, whatever field you're in, if you're in real estate, everywhere you go. I've been, I have friends who are in real estate. Everywhere you go, they see things that you never see. Right, you have a designer. You go into a place; they notice the design. You have to someone who's into clothes. Everyone notices their thing. Whatever you think about, you see it, and that's the lesson. If if there's things that we need to be seeing, it could be that we're not thinking about them enough. Person wants opportunities. You know, I had this once. Um, you know. Thank God in, in our community, there, there's many, many wonderful acts of kindness that, that go on as organizations. And one time someone said, you know, how do you, uh, it's not fair. If I would have the opportunities that that person has, I would be just as involved in kindness and as, as, uh, as they are. And I saw an interesting idea once that, you know what? A person, Hashem sends opportunities to those who really want it. That person who has all these opportunities now to do kindness, which really is a privilege, and it could be you would do it if you were in their position. But you don't know how much unsung kindness and how much how much that person desires kindness that Hashem sends it that way. If a person, and I, as a rabbi, I can tell you this, you know, there's, there's rabbinic opportunities that allow a person to flex their, uh, to advance their Torah knowledge, to, to, to excel at it more. And, and, and it can be very helpful. And sometimes you could say, you know what, if I had that, let's say, if I had that audience, if I had that 500 person audience, that would be a big, healthy pressure to really um, become a world-class Torah scholar. Well, I could look at it that way, or I could say, you know what? If I want to know Torah enough, if I have such a thirst for wisdom, Hashem will make my life situation that I'll be able to uh, to do that. That applies to kindness. It applies to Torah. It applies to anything. I think we got to wrap up here. 
there's a lot there's a lot to talk about and maybe uh you come back on at nine we'll talk a little bit more about hanukkah sing a few songs let's do a, a quick wrap up of what we have talked about talked about the stir of yosef we talked about how a person needs to be wise enough when things are going well in this world to, to think about the future in all areas of our lives. Don't be get caught up with how well things are going and forgetting about the, about the future. We learned about how the butler, he couldn't help when he, when he was trying to be nice. Since he, in his, in his essence, he wasn't really such a nice person. He wasn't able to... Um, to, to hide that, and he ended up saying things that um, were not nice. We talked about how goodness inspires unity and evil inspires, inspires separatism. We talked about how a person needs to be able to forget about their past. God forbid not to forget about your past, but be able to be satisfied and to be present to make the best of the situation. We, we, we uh, learned about how a person has to be humble and be able to, 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 to credit things to God and credit things to, to, to others, even when we are in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the spotlight. We learned about how a person, even when you have to make a decision, there's a way to be sensitive and kind and merciful, even if you have to do make, take a position on something which may not be so exciting or pleasant for, um, for others. We talked about the two reasons, possible reasons why the brothers did not recognize Yosef. One being that um, they just, it was, there were, were cosmic ramifications, epic ramifications of their noticing him and you don't notice things you don't wanna see. And we also said on the flip side, simply things that you're not thinking about, you won't, you won't recognize. And there's, there's things that we wanna be seeing you got to work on thinking about them more. Uh, have a beautiful Shabbos. Have a rest. Beautiful Hanukkah. Bezos Hanukkah. And if you're still up, come back at nine and we will try to celebrate. Thank you, Rabbi Carp, uh -huh. for your words of wisdom.